Welcome to Bottomless Rugby, the home of boys, brews and sports balls. This is the main event with Dr. Dup and Jason. We talk about the current hot topic of the week, touch base on interesting news and pick a boykey of the week. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Bottomless Sports Network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services. Let's get into it. So our hot topic for this week is going to be about the laws of rugby. And while we do know rugby has a lot of laws and rules and so forth, and it can be quite tricky at times to know what's going on unless you are an expert yourself. Um, so it kind of does bring up the questions at times, and it's one that comes up every single year all the time is uh, what are some of the rugby laws that need changing? To make the game a better spectacle for the fans and easier for the referees and players um, to partake in. So we're going to take a look at a couple of suggestions that have been put out on the internet and we're going to throw in a couple of our own suggestions of some of the laws we think should be changed or maybe some variations that could be trialed. Uh, we've, we've seen in Rugby AU this year some of the, these new laws being trialed and we'll give an opinion on that. Uh, with that, let me bring in Jason. Jason, how are you doing? And uh, what do you think about some of the laws that need to be changed? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. And yeah, for a couple of years at least, we've seen a lot of issues in rugby relating to the laws and how some of them are actually contradictory. And like we, we all know that there's a lot of subjective interpretation in the game of rugby. And I think you know, changing some of these laws, clarifying some of them, I think it would really go a long way to making the game more approachable to novice people. Because, I mean, there's very few team sports that are as complicated as this to try and get into from a from a new person's perspective. I mean, I, don't, I can't really name any. How about you? Yeah, I, I can't think of any. Um, in all fairness, it's not like we know every single sport out there and the rules that they play with. Um but at least for for the major sports that that we used to, um, you know, sort of like the English sports of the English created, you know, if you talk football, you talk rugby, uh, you talk cricket, like these were the three major sports that um, we grew up with. Yeah, rugby's rules are pretty complicated. Like there's a lot of rules, uh, but rightly so. There's a lot that goes down on the rugby field, so it is quite understandable. And rugby also has these unique. Um, like our set set pieces are pretty unique in themselves. It's a unique way to start up games, um, and yeah, you're gonna have special rules for those um, events that take place on the field, and that is what complicates it for new potentially new players and fans coming in. It is quite weird. I would probably say the other sport that I feel is is when it comes to laws that are way more complicated is probably the NFL. Um, like there's a lot of things going on there. Um, I would say that's pretty tough, you know, um, for the same reason that us as South Africans uh, would take a bit of time to learn the NFL rules. It's it's the same for them, you know, to come and learn rugby rules. Um, so I think there really should be an effort made to simplify rules. Um, this will help with, with clarification for referees, players, uh, potentially help a bit with that subjectivity you speak about. 
and make it easier for the fans uh, to get on board with the game. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And like we've seen them trying to tinker with the laws in different ways over the past couple of years and trialing different things, but they've they've never been like big changes, if I can say that, or changes that have stuck. Like we've seen a lot of things revert back to what they were. So I think we need definitive changes to make to do what they were wanting to do with the game, to make it more free flowing, less stagnant at certain stages. Um, because if you look at the most popular sports in the world, they tend to be free-flowing, fast-moving, like if you look at football, you look at NBA, you know, these kind of things are going to attract a wider market. So if we can get that going, yeah, we're going to take more steps to improving rugby as a sport in terms of its viewership and uh, stature in the world scene. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. Um, And that kind of comes to the issue that's always been raised um, in rugby is Right, uh, ball in play time or too much time is spent in the game to either set up a set piece, you know, or stoppages of some sort, and they want to have the ball in play more, um, a lot more. So, yeah, I think with that in mind, um, as sort of the goal of what the laws should do, because at the end of the day, rugby is an entertainment product, at least at the top. Um, right, yeah, the goal should be how do we get it more free flowing? How do we get the ball into play, uh, you know, longer than what it is? And we've seen over the couple of years where some of the, the law amendments they've made have assisted that. But yeah, they should keep on doing this. Well, let's jump into it now. Um, all right. So some of the suggestions that we've seen on the internet. Um, first up, what do you think about getting rid of marks? That isn't one that I ever really considered, but it would make sense. And it's... You know, it would add an extra bit of a emphasis on getting those kicks deep and isolating a fullback back there. Because currently now with the marks, he can get the ball, three defenders are on him, he just lifts his arm and he's safe. And then they can reset, exit the play. But if there's no marks, he's either got to try and pull off some madness to get out of the situation, or it's going to be a turnover and trial, which again would add more to the excitement. So again, it's not something I ever considered, but you know, it could could add another element to the game. How about you? Right. First off, we we don't see that many marks. No, no. You know, like you, if you see one a game, you saw a lot. Let's be honest, right? Because a lot of the times when a kick is put deep directly into the twenty-two, which teams try to avoid in any case, uh, because of the mark, that means, um, yeah, I mean, there's normally time for the fullback or the winger to either kick it, kick it out, uh, run it back up, or run and do an up and under. Uh, with with a kick chase, so yeah, like I don't I don't think it would have a real impact. But what it could mean is that, right, you might need more than just your fifteen in the back, right, which which could create space out wide because either you're going to leave your fifteen there, and he'll need to make something happen, whether that be under pressure, you know, um, or if there's support for him to pass to someone to kick it out. It's going to force things, force teams to think about it differently. And for the attacking teams, this might mean that the kick could become a bit more of a weapon going forward. Um, you know, if you don't need to really worry about a team, you know, marking the kick. Uh, this will kind of link up with, um, well, let's actually talk about um, how this might link up with some of the law variations that was trialed in Rugby AU, because I think it can specifically link up with these, right? 
So let me just get get your opinion on on the laws at the trial then rugby AU. We're going to highlight two: the twenty two fifty rule and the fifty twenty two rule. Jason, um, having watched rugby AU, what do you think about these rules? And then how do you think that could um, you know go well together with removing the marks? Well, I, I watched those games and I really like the fifty twenty two rule and the twenty fifty because it rewards you being able to do some pretty spectacular tactical kicking. And like the main reason they brought it in for rugby AU was to force <laughs> teams to have more players at the back and thus create more space in the front line of defense. Because currently what you used to see was just the 15 roaming at the back and maybe maybe an, one of the wings half back. But now what you see is they're having to be like a revolving four at the back with uh, at least a winger full back and the scrum off a bit further back and you know just switching sides for the wings depending on which way the play is going. And that creates more space. So I'm really in favor of it. And like you say, it makes kicking more of a weapon, uh, attacking weapon, than just a way to get out of your half and gain some territory. So I'd be really in favor of it. And that combined with the marks being taken out, it would add a lot more free flow to the game. I know you also enjoyed some exciting Friday morning rugby. So how did you enjoy seeing that rule in place? Man, I was very impressed with this rule i mean b- before rugby you started i didn't really know what to expect with this rule i didn't know how it was going to play out but once i saw you know teams making use of this and you know being rewarded for kicking because it encourages fly halves or, or, or players to kick for the corner you know as long as it, it if it bounces in the 22 and it then goes out you keep your position man that is huge and it actually um like yeah, it it does encourage kicking, but it also rewards good kicking, right? And yeah, we saw we saw that like it's I don't know I, I just really like the way because if if you have momentum, that's a solid solid kick, right? A lot of the times we will see a guy put a kick right on the five, um, and if you now can can keep possession because it was a really good kick, I think that's fair, you know. Um, because the the flip side is well, why was the other team didn't they have someone back there to prevent the ball from going out? You know, I think that's fair. Um, so long as it's from within your half and you kick it and it bounces in the twenty two, like it's great. If you take the mark away, it will really really force um, you know, teams to have someone in the back there to clean up. Because if you have a fifteen twenty two rule. Um, yeah, it would make it a lot easier for one sweeper at the back to just catch and mark it, you know. So it will kind of diminish uh, the incentive that is there from the fifty twenty two rule. Um, similarly, the twenty two fifty rule, I think, is also pretty cool. You know, when you kick it from your own twenty two, if it bounces in their half and then goes out, you can keep um, possession. That I think is fine because in most cases, when teams are on their own twenty two. Uh, defending teams are dropping back quite deep for the kick in any case. So if you manage to put it into space and it bounces out, I think you should be rewarded. Yeah, I agree. A lot of what these law changes that we're going to discuss here, it's about benefiting good tactical play. And I think that is something that needs to be brought in, to have that extra element of intelligence in our play. Yeah, 100%. Like, let's reward teams... Um, yeah, we, we tactically have a sound game. To me, that just feels that like it actually opens the game up for more skill sets, 
because if you do have a good kicker, make use of him, you know? Yeah, exactly. And again, it goes further to the message of making rugby a sport for all people, getting a wider range of talent involved. Yeah, if you have a team and you decide you want to play a running attacking style, by all means, go and do that, you know? Um, I, I, I feel that, yeah, the laws should just be in such a way that, it, you know, any style can be played, you know, the laws shouldn't necessarily favor a particular style to emerge from it, if you know what I mean. All right, let's move on to another suggestion. Um, all right, so another one that we've seen, um, we'll, we'll stick to ones that were kind of trialed here at Rugby AU as well, but this suggestion has come up before, right? So uh, being held up in goal um, should lead to a goal line dropout instead of a five-meter attacking strum. Uh, Rugby AU also trialed this. I personally like this, right? Because um, to me, good defense there should be rewarded, right? Um, a lot of the time in rugby, the attacking team always uh, gets the advantage. Go look at the laws. That's that's how the, the laws are set up. Normally, the attacking team has the benefit of the doubt. However, I do feel that in goal, if the defense is able to hold up the attacking team, they should get rewarded, not the attacking team who now gets another shot at it. So I'm very fine with having a goal line dropout. Uh, it shouldn't be a 22 line dropout. Goal line dropout is fine instead of a five meter attacking uh, scrum to the attacking team. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? I think this is quite excellent because I mean, you and I have both played rugby for a while. We've been in those situations where you're defending on your trial line. And it's just it's slugging out, slugging out, slugging out, hold up, okay, another scrum, better slug it out more. And we've seen in professional games, sometimes 10, 15 minutes of people just constantly attacking on that five-meter line. And uh, for the purists, that might be exciting stuff. And if your team's attacking, you're going to be really into it. For a lot of people, that just gets a bit stale. And again, too many scrums involved, which is what a lot of you know new fans complain about. So I like it. And like you say, Rewarding good defense is something so rarely seen, well, not so rarely, but it's not often seen in rugby. So I like the idea of you being rewarded for holding up that ball and being allowed to exit it, and the exit creates more free-flowing play. So I'm all for this to be a more continuous part of the game. Yeah, 100%. And, and you, you hit the nail on the, um, Yeah, you, you hit the nail there. Um yeah, it removes the scrum, which means it's going to be fewer scrums a game and you're going to spend less time setting up a scrum. Um, you know, it's held up, goal line dropout. The incentive is there for the for the defensive team to kick that ball as quickly as possible because, uh, yeah, more likely there's going to be space out deep and it means it essentially means the game, at least the option is there for the game to continue as quickly as possible. Yes, exactly. All right, let's move on to another one that was um, suggested before. Um, actually, since we're kind of now on the topic of scrums, we might as well tackle scrums. Let's do that. All right, so another one that's popped up uh, kind of with this. So um, one that's been suggested is how about moving the 5-meter attacking scrums back to 10 meters out, making it near impossible to score a push over try. What, what do you think about this suggestion that's popped up? I don't see the point in it, if I'm honest. Uh, if you're going to have a dominant scrum that can push over in that case, like, do it. And 
that's not a part of the scrums that I feel is detracting from the game and making it less exciting. Like seeing that scrum suddenly monster over is a really cool thing to see in the game. So personally, maybe I'm a bit biased being a front row forward most of my life. I do feel that's a bit silly and pointless. I don't really see what the point is there. You? Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I think this is silly. I think there should be a five-meter attacking scrum when you get that opportunity. Um, pushover trials are cool, and it this is an incentive for dominant scrum to try the pushover trial. Uh, if you take a ten out, there's very little reward for a strong dominant uh, team. Um, you know, to use a scrum as an effective weapon five meters out. Um, it's essentially like saying. Let's not have five meter lineouts. Let's move them all ten meters out so that the malls can't go and score tries anymore. That's essentially the same thing. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, some other interesting ones with the scrum. Um, so another one that was kind of touted there was um, so after a knock on where advantage can't be played. So instead of going immediately to a scrum, how about awarding a free kick so the attacking team can tap or kick? Um, but also have the option of a scrum available. Uh, what do you think about that? That would be interesting, I think. You know, again, it gives the option of avoiding the scrum, especially for teams that might not be that good in the scrum. Like I wish the Sharks had this option last year and the year before, you know. We were struggling a bit in the scrums. So I think it would have benefited a lot of teams who aren't maybe that powerful there. And again, goes on the same thing of making rugby more free-flowing if they want it to be so. So, you know, it's again, it's nothing I feel is desperately needed, but I think it would be a nice change to give people the option instead of having to go to a scrum, which again takes the time out, slows down the play. I think this is a fantastic suggestion. Let's give the teams the option. I have personally played in many, many matches where we had a far superior scrum. And when we knocked on the ball, it was not an issue because we knew we we're going to go dominate the scrum. We're either going to get a tight head or we, it's, we're going to make the ball so unplayable for them that, you know, we could put a lot of defense pressure on them where they get no advantage from having gotten the scrum. Uh, whereas if they had a free kick, they could have either kicked it down the field or they could have tapped and, and run at it, you know, and avoid um, the risk of losing it at scrum time when they have a weak scrum. I think this is a fair suggestion to put out there and it should be implemented. It won't really make a difference to, to the game and in fact it could speed it up. It's one way to, you know, if teams want to then push a fast-paced game, tap and go, right? I, I think it gives a lot of tactical options out there as well. Um, to add to that, right, so uh, there's they also suggested, right, so the same can apply in general play uh, when a kick goes dead in goal. So under the current laws, there could be a scrum from the spot of the kicker, uh, but you could just do the same to award a free kick from the same spot. Uh, in my opinion, this would give teams um, this would give options to teams, uh, particularly if they have a poor scrum. So I think this is kind of, we can just latch it on there. I think this would be fair as well. Um, you know, instead of a scrum, give a free kick option with the scrum option available. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do also want to add to the previous points. Like, I think we've been in a situation, like it's mostly at lower levels, like club rugby and school rugby, but when the scrum is doing well, but your back line just keeps knocking the ball on and you just keep going scrum after scrum after scrum after scrum. Even as a guy who loves scrums, boy, can that be tiring and annoying. 
So I think a change like that would be great that a free kick can come in. Um, but anyway, going on to this other one, you said, yeah, I think that would be nice as well. It also, there wouldn't be too much of an advantage given by being able to take the free kick because they still have to go and fetch the ball. But I do think it would be nicer for them to be able to tap and go from that situation, similar to the previous point. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of having options um, because in many instances, rugby does allow you the option to choose what action you want to take. So I think by expanding that to some of the other areas, it it, it really opens the game up for different tactics, in my view. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. So still with the scrums. Um, all right, let's kind of now focus more on the time aspect of scrums. Um so I covered this one recently in Numbers Out Wide uh, when we looked specifically at the scrum data in uh, Rugby World Cup 2019. Um, yeah, so quite a bit of time is spent at scrums, right? And World Rugby had a Law Review Council um, on this as well. And they came to the, or they made a suggestion that we should re remove Law 20.3, which is a team awarded a penalty or free kick may instead choose a scrum. This is particularly when it comes to um, reset or scrum penalties because um, this can create a feedback loop where you have scrum after scrum after scrum. Uh, so they suggested let's just get rid of this um, penalty or free kick um, where they can choose the option of the scrum. Uh, what do you think about that? Should we get rid of that law? I'm the torn on that. You know, it's a case of you're taking away an attacking weapon by not allowing the scrum for like a penalty or free kick. Um, maybe I'd say just away from one of them, like maybe for penalty, because you can also have the option of kicking, uh, taking a kick a goal, take away the scrum as an option then for a free kick, allow that still as a way to set up play. I've also just had something uh, spark in my head based around this as well. Uh, you know, when there's a scrum, like the ball, the scrum goes down, so one team gets penalty advantage, but the ball goes out and play. They do play for a bit. I feel in that situation, yeah. the penalty advantage should be scrapped. The ball has gone out of the scrum. You shouldn't go back for that penalty. I think that would also help with uh, increasing the flow of the game. Sorry to just interject that, but it just sparked in my head there. No, 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So just to to kind of put into perspective so uh, during rugby world cup 2019 one in three scrums ended in the penalty all right so basically they, they said there's a 30 percent chance when you have a, a scrum and in a penalty that there'll be another scrum uh, and that's why um well when you have a scrum there's a 30 percent chance of repeating that scrum uh so that's why they suggested to remove the law i personally i i don't think we should remove that law um, in Rugby World Cup 2019, there were 13 scrums a game, uh, which took 80 seconds per scrum. It's 17 minutes per game, right? It's a quarter of the game, yeah. right? Yes, you might have some matches where there's 20, 25 scrums when you're then going to look at half the match was scrums. Um, in, in that case, I would just be like, yeah, we should, you know, upskill players to not knock the ball on so much. Uh, that is one solution there. But the main issue with scrums is uh, mainly um, scrums being reset um, and how long, um, and, and, and that happens four times a game, right? So it only adds an extra two minutes per game. So I, I, don't, I don't think we really need to remove that law. Scrum resets is an issue. Um, 
but I don't feel like it happens too often, um, you know, for it to be a major issue in a game. However, I think the issue is mainly at the end of matches where teams deliberately use it as a tactic to slow the clock down, to run out the clock, to, to finish a game if they're in a winning position. So our good friend Matthew suggested, right, how about in the last 20 minutes of a match, we stop the clock at scrum time until the ball is put in. I agree with this suggestion. I, I think it's awesome. It really takes any deliberate foul play, you know, which is under the guise of, um, you know, reset scrums and so forth out of the question. And teams have no option but to basically just get on with the match. You agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. And it's not even a case of it would be impractical to put that in because we've got the touch, uh, sorry, assistant referees by the field who can help with the timekeeping there. You've got the TMO who can help with the timekeeping there. So you can't even say like the ref would be distracted trying to do the timekeeping and officiate the scrum. So, you know, I'm all for, for, for that because we have, it is a tactic to just reset, 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 wind down the clock, just like that pick and go in the last five minutes is a tactic to just wind down the clock. And I think we can do without that um, too much in the game. Yeah, I would I would take it a step further and I would say you could also do the same um, at line-out. Um, so basically your two set pieces uh, in the last 20 minutes, um, yeah, when play stops for a line-out or a scrum, the, the, the time stops. And quite honestly, the timekeeper can do this. They are all in communications with the referee in any case. So the ref himself doesn't need to do it. They can just figure out a way um, to make sure that if a player... Well, I mean, the game clock is on, is is there as well. And we're mainly talking about this rule, I think, should be only at the top level, you know, where, yeah, there's there's a lot of stakes in the matches. Like, we don't need this at club level and lower levels. We really don't need that. Yeah. Um, this, this would mainly be for the elite level where the product is being put on TV and where we've seen it a lot of times where, like, there's a chance for a team to make a comeback but the other team just deliberately slows the game down. It's a tactic that is allowed within the current rules. I don't like it. Um, and I think we should change it so that, yeah, at the end of the day, I think if you you should give the team every opportunity they can to play rugby. And by one team to, to sort of leverage the rules um, in, in a way that is a little bit unsportsmanlike, even though it's within the rules, uh, I think... Yeah, it's, it's not really a fair situation. And there's we have nothing to lose by implementing that in the last 20 minutes of the match. Yeah, nothing to then. lose. Okay. Right, let's move on to some of the other stuff, right? So we've had an issue with high penalty counts in the tackle situation. Jason, um, is a couple of suggestions there that you want to go through? Yeah, right now I feel there's a bit of an issue with the tackle situation because... As a tackler, you tackle the guy and you bring him to ground. Now, the law says that you need to roll away or release immediately, roll away. But the problem is a player is allowed to pick a, uh, pick, uh, put the ball down, get up, pick the ball up and run again after they've been tackled. Now, as a tackler, you're in a situation where you need to release immediately because of the laws. But if you release immediately, he's going to get up and run again. Um, in the tight, this isn't always such a big issue. But like, if you're the last tackler, that's a big thing. And you're stuck between do I release him and concede a try? 
or do I hold on and do what I'm paid to do and try and get a result? So for me, I feel like what, one or two of these rules need to be uh, changed a bit. Like either removing the law to allow players to get up from the tackle after releasing the ball. Um, that would slow things down a bit maybe, but it could also add something else to it. But on the alternative is uh, remove the law requiring the tackler to immediately release a player once they've been brought to the ground. Like maybe change it to once the ball has been placed, then you have to immediately release. Because otherwise, you just get in so many situations where it's like, what is the tackler actually meant to do in the situation? Uh, this is a personal one for me. How do you feel about that whole situation? Yeah, I think there is a massive gray area around this. Um, and, and it is quite frustrating when, especially at the last line of defense, um, a good defense makes a, a one-on-one tackle. And the, and we've seen it before where, where the defender who just made the tackle actually releases and then the guy immediately stands up with the ball, even though the laws do state that when you get tackled, you need to either, uh, you do have the option of standing up immediately, getting back onto your feet. That is if you are not held by a tackler. Um, but this is where the gray area comes in because the law says the tackler must release. So for an attacking player, you might feel that the tackle slipped and, you, and you'll stand up. And this is where the gray area is, you know, because it's kind of subjective now to both players and the referee as to what happened within acceptable uh, limits, you know? Yeah, there's also the issue where you're not allowed to tackle a player if you're not on your feet. So if you tackle and bring yes. him down, he gets up. You have to get up as quickly if you want to make that tackle again. And that just... It doesn't, it's not a thing that's going to slow down the game or anything. But for me, like I say, there's too many gray areas involved in that and too many areas for subjective interpretation to take over and, you know, potential bias to take over. Yeah, that is true, right? And then the, the, the attacking player, right? So the option is either you stand up if not held or if you, or you need to place the ball right or you need to place the ball stand up and then pick the ball up again right so i'm kind of with you i th- i think this is an area that needs to be really looked at and one way can just be that when you get tackled whether you right if you're someone held in tackle because i do feel if you get ankle tapped right and you fall down uh i wouldn't I actually wouldn't call that a tackle yeah um Right, so so there's fine if you got ankle tapped, stand up and run, right? But if you get tackled, i.e., someone has like made contact with their arms and shoulder and they take you and themselves to the ground, that is a tackle, right? I, I think it will be fine to basically just be that to, to have the, the easiest rule will be the ball gets placed, no one can stand up, whatever the ball gets placed, and those two, t- those two players need to kind of get. Right, they they're out of the game at that point. So it'll probably lean a little bit more towards the way rugby league goes about it, where the ball gets placed, um, they all get up, and then it gets played. We can still have a ruck. It just means that those players need to leave the ball alone. Right, tackler is still going to roll away, but you can be all right. Um, the person who got tackled, right, you place and leave it. You're probably going to be out of the game because someone's going to come either clean out or they're going to come trust try and steal the ball um but yeah i think that could be the easiest way 
to clean that up, they should at least give it a try um, at some of the lower levels and see how it works if we have a law where if you get tackled, your only option is to place the ball. Done. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think, but around tackling and those sorts, yeah, I think that is that is the big gray one. Um, other ones there haven't really sprung out to me. All right, let's move through a couple before we end this off. Um, cool. We'll get some. We'll get some quick answers on this one. All right. So, how do you feel about a TMO review per half per team when they concede a try? I feel like this could be top top level only. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this would be good. Like you get the opportunity to do ask specifically for the TMO review. I don't think it should mean that's the only one that happens. But I think the captain should be able to say, "Please check this one," and then that's it. I think they've trialed that in cricket with a few things. You know more about that now. Yeah, I, I feel like we've seen a version of this before. Um, how was it that white card yeah, thing they yeah. tried at some point? Yeah, we, we've seen a little bit about that. Um, the difference is with the white card, I think they could do it at any stop. The, the captain could ask the referee to check something. I'm actually fine with this idea of having uh, giving the captain the option that when they concede a try for the TMO to, go, to, to request a review, um, in other case, you could just say World Rugby could just decide that uh, the TMO has to review a try, all tries. Um, you know, just to make it stock standard. Although I feel that that is, um, I mean, on, only if if it's not a clear cut try. But we see a lot of lot of tries go to TMO review in any case. So I don't necessarily feel like we need to implement this, but I think it's worth the idea to consider. Right, giving the option to a captain, um, you could maybe say, I don't know, one is, I suppose one is fine per half, you know, but I don't think it would really make a difference. Yeah. I don't think it will make a difference. All right. Um, uh, on offside lines, all right, so what do you think about it? Uh, someone will suggested a second referee to just officiate the offside lines. No, as you've mentioned, I think assistant referees should already be doing this. Like, I understand one guy has to be further back to mark where the, the potential kick might be, but the assistant referee should be watching this. Like, that is mostly their role, is it not, to uh, dictate the offside line and check it for the referee. So I don't think we need a second referee. I think we just need assistant referees to be told, do this more. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think we should rather look at the roles of the assistant referees um, and how we can incorporate this better uh, so that at least one of them would be, um, yeah, making sure that the offside line is here. The way I understand it is that if the referee, if there's a ruck and you're on AR and the referee is on the other side of the ruck, i.e. the ruck is between you and the referee, then you as the AR should check out for the for the offside line on this side because the referee would not have a clear view of it. Yes. That's how I understand it. Um, this just needs to be implemented better. I don't think we need a second referee necessarily. I do think it could be handy to have a second referee on the field just because there's 30 players out there doing a lot of stuff. Um, I don't think it would necessarily hurt because then essentially you'd have a team of four referees out there officiating the match. I think it could be tried. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, we just need to look at um, how the ARs are being used um, to, to really make a difference. 
Yeah, I agree. I just worry that the second referee would clutter the play because the referees now already get in the way sometimes. But I'm sure they, yeah. that would just be growing pains. Yeah, that would be growing, tra- growing pain because we'd need to train referees in their positional play differently. So that would take time for sure. Uh, let's end off with the last one. It's something that um, a prominent coach has also suggested in recent times. And that is reducing the number of substitutes so that there's an increase in player fatigue. Um, all right, Jason, I'll let you have this one. You know the answer. Oh, I don't know if this is your answer, but for me, this is a terrible decision because rugby is a collision sport. If you want more guys out there fatigued, things are going to get more sloppy. A, you're going to get more scrums and breaks in play because more knock-ons, whatever. But B, you're going to get guys going more sloppily into the tackle into the rucks or more scrums. So those collisions, people are going to be standing higher. They're going to be more, more likely you're going to get more like sloppy hits. It's a bigger increase in injury. And like we say, rugby is above a contact sport. It's a collision sport. You need to get these guys off the field sometimes because otherwise you're going to have horrendous injuries. Like um, a sport like football, very little contact. It's mostly about fitness. That is fine. Having limited, uh, substitutes but for me personally it would be a big mistake to suddenly say you only allow like five or so in rugby yeah absolutely silly suggestion um it's a contact sport um yeah guys get injured uh, fatigue leads to more injuries uh, rugby is all about player welfare and therefore yeah this this should not even be considered um you know yeah, like we need the substitutes to come through. And also, in all fairness, right, when the fresh legs come on, they do make a difference and it does allow for some tactical. Thing. I like it the way it is. I feel that age replacements is the sweet spot. I don't think we need more replacements. Yeah. Um, I think this age replacement is fine. Um, it, 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 it gives teams options. I think it's plenty. All right, Jason, uh, final thought, final remark you want to make on, on this? If there's one you feel that has to be changed, which one would it be? Ooh, that's a one. That is a... Pick one. That is a tough one. Let me... Do you have one in your mind already? Let me just think about this for a bit. Yeah, yeah, I've got one. I can go first while you think about this. Um, right, if I have to pick one, I'm going to be that we should, we should implement stopping the clock in the last 20 minutes of... Um, top-level professional matches at scrum time and at lineouts, uh, just to even the playing field at the dying moments of the match. Uh, this will n- really not make uh, a big difference on broadcasting time and so forth. I think it will actually just encourage the teams to set up and play. You know, like I actually feel it would speed up the game at the end of matches. Uh, let's stop the clock at scrums and lineouts so that deliberate slow play is eliminated. Yeah, I can agree there. Okay, my one would be that held up in goal, uh, tr- a balls lead to a goal line dropout, not a five meter attacking scrum. I feel it's a great way to reward the defensive side, and I think will increase the flow of the game as we've seen a bit in rugby Australia. So that's my one I'd pick. Yeah, I think that's that's an awesome one that should also be. You know, they, I feel they should just implement that off the bat, all age group levels, done and dusted. Uh, very easy to implement. Yeah, it's it's, and I mean we, you do see, you know, balls held up quite often, but it's it's not that much. Like one, maybe two a match, 
if that, you know, if that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it will have massive, massive influence on the way the game is actually played. But rightly so, we should reward really good defense on your goal line. It should be rewarded. To to hold someone up in the goal line is not easy. Not at all, no. Right? Yeah. So let's reward them. Cool. Yeah, that's a wrap, guys. Uh, those are all our thoughts on some of the rugby laws that need to be changed. And you can definitely give us your opinion in the comments uh, below or send us a voice message uh, over Anchor. Alrighty, our boykey of the week, the man, the legend, the beast, Tendai Mutawarira. Uh, he just launched his foundation, um, right? And this is really to empower Africa's next generation. Uh, it's called the Beast Foundation. Uh, obviously, it was going to call it Beast, whatever. Uh, so first off, uh, to, to Tenda, uh, congrats on launching your foundation. Uh, we wish you all the best. We'll, we'll support you guys in, in your vision and your initiative, what you want to do. Sport really has, you know, been a major influence and provided change for a lot of people, uh, particularly in our, in our country. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I'm loving it that, um, you know, he's going to do everything that he can to help next generation. Uh, I just basically, let me just read, like, like one little um, thing that he said. Yeah. So uh, this is what he said. We want to give young people the chance to forge their futures and access to an expanded network. Uh, this not only allows them to grow, but take learnings back to their communities, become champions on on the field and in other areas of life. Um, I, I really think that is a great vision, particularly the thing for, because um, this will work on a, a boot camp type system. Uh, where where the young kids will get access to you know great coaching networks and so forth, but for me the real benefit to this is when the kids do go back to their communities, this knowledge can be transferred back into the community. So I'm loving loving this um, initiative by Beast. Yeah, I agree there as well. And what I like about this foundation is that obviously sports is one of the primary things, but they're linking up with tertiary edu. Education uh, places, uh, universities, and getting these kids bursaries there, and making sure that sport isn't the only thing they're doing. They're getting their studies and getting some kind of education so they have a life after rugby. Like that's one of the things I think Beast did extremely well. He used his time as the Sharks to study a bit. He got deals with Vic and I forget the security company he's involved with, but he's he's sort of set himself up for life afterwards with some good business decisions. And if you can get that involved, get that thinking in the younger generation, I think we'll have far less instances of guys finishing their rugby career and not knowing what to do with their lives afterwards, which I think is a very good thing. Yeah, not even that, but just getting um, the different thinking out there that, that sport actually teaches you a skill set that is beneficial in other areas of your life as well. So even if you don't make it to become a professional rugby player, you have been equipped with skills that are going to benefit you in some part of your life. And I think that's where the true value of this is coming through. Because only a certain amount of these players, you know, that would go through his foundation will make it to the top, right? Where you'd likely sit with even just 80% of them are going to go branch off into something else. And those skills are still going to benefit them. And that's where I think the real um, power of, of this um, foundation of his will come through. Yeah, for sure. 
right yeah so beast welcome to our team you have you are the last piece the missing piece we were looking for our boyki 15 is now complete we will do a little something special to reveal that soon but yeah you slot in there number one for being a beast on and off the field keep on doing what you're doing um loving it and uh, we wish you all the best with your foundation okay so this week's quick tap articles of interest uh we're going to jump straight into it jason let's try and keep it short because i know sometimes we can go off on a tangent right first one we got up um so the investors really see the stormers global reach into overseas markets this um um so we know that the stormers uh, there's a deal on the table from uh, a durban guy who has shares in a, in a american company to buy a controlling share in in the stormers 51 percent stake but the stormers really are reluctant to to relinquish that control um and this is kind of uh putting the the, the union in a difficult position because Right, this is COVID time and you have an offer to get money during COVID and they don't want to do that. Uh, the top players are quite upset about this. Um, and to put it into perspective, like they might decide not to stay on, right? So for example, there's no way Sia Kulisi can start a new contract with the union that has no ability to underwrite it. So for example, why would he stay if they can't pay him? And that really puts a union position where they might lose Sia Kulisi and some of the other spring uh, top spring box. So my question to you, Jason, is uh, do you think the top players at the Stormers are going to walk out if this deal does not go through? I think some of them will. I don't think all of them. I think Sia might stay because he's a very loyal man and his family is based there and he doesn't want to uproot them. He loves South Africa, so he might stay. But a lot of the other guys might go. I don't understand the thinking here. You could barely afford to play, pay your players last year. And you're rejecting millions upon millions of rands, even outside of the initial investment, getting the branding out there. They're going to earn money from wherever that branding is put and start earning cash. So I think it's just they're being silly business-wise here. They need to take this offer. Yeah, I think it's silly. They should take it um, and get actual professionals in there to come run the place. Um, yeah, I think I think this is going to hurt them if they don't take it players are not going to be loyal to the union and as soon as the players get an opportunity to walk i feel that they will walk um see see i can try and go to another union and essay any union will, will take them with open arms um same with peter steph for example you can go anywhere the the only issue for them now is that um domestically they can't go to any of the other domestic unions right now yes. but when the time comes they are going to think long and hard about being loyal to the Stormers, it has been a shambles, and quite frankly, um, it doesn't seem like they will be secure in, in, in um, you know, guaranteeing their paychecks at the end of the day. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, so last week, we commented on the Owen Farrell tackle. Uh, in the meantime, the uh, um, so they went to to his hearing and so forth, and they decided to give him a five-match ban. Uh, normally, the offense that he did at entry level has a 10-match ban. However, this was reduced to five because of testimonials and so forth. 
this included testimonials provided by Saracens boss uh, Mark McCall, England head coach Eddie Jones, and the founders of a charity with which Farrell works very closely. And this is the thing that I got caught up on, right? Um, what the hell does that have to do anything with what he did on the field? Jason, like, do you agree with me on this? How is it that founders of a charity is going to come give testimonials for something you did on a field and that is taken into account as a mitigation factor to reduce your sentence? How? I think everyone outside of England can see how bad this decision is. And even a lot of people within England itself can recognize that this is a very bad decision. Because now, whenever you're going to have someone up for one of these things, like rugby players are involved with a lot of things like this, like they're involved with their churches, they're involved with other community outreach things. Like, as if that's the thing that can get you off a sentence, see a Khaleesi could go and punch a dude in the face in the field for all the good work he's done and get off without any ban. <laughs> like, if we're being fully honest here, if that's how they're going to go about it. Yeah. I think it's a poor decision, but it's protecting the golden boy or own feral. Yeah, I think this, this really just shows that there's massive, massive problems with the judiciary system in rugby. Um, and this was pointed out by Bucky's Boto when he tweeted, you know, if he had a number four on his back and his, his surname ended with Botha, he would be um, suspended until after the Lions series next year. You know, because Bucky's Boota saying if it was just a case of timing, then his hit on, um, was it again? Jimmy uh, Cowan was just a matter of timing, right? And I fully agree with him. Like, this is once again a case where there's definitely favoritism and there shouldn't be. The one thing I will say is that Bucky's is forgetting his the numerous, numerous, numerous amounts of previous incidents on his uh, record. Uh, hold up. Hold up. Yeah. Owen Farrell's got the same. He's also got that reputation and he has a history of high tackles and offenses that he's, that he's done. But is that under official disciplinary records? That's the big issue. Like, he hasn't been punished for any of those. We know he's got a problem with it, but he hasn't been punished. That's going to be the big issue. Yeah, I, I I don't know what his record looks like, but I think that would be irrespective. Every single case that happens, I think, should be a case-by-case -case basis. Agreed. Um, simple as that. You know, whether you've been two years that you haven't given a high tackle is irrelevant. You gave a high tackle right now, and the sanction is, you know, this is a sanction. Boom. That's it. Unless you can provide mitigating instances of what happened on the field only, tough. You got, you got to take what's coming to you. It really, like, to me, this thing, like, where founders of a charity come come give a testimonial about, like, what you do off the field and that must be taken into consideration for what you did on the field is ludicrous. This is a, making a mockery of the system. I agree. Jeez, like, absolutely pathetic. They Really, no, World Rugby, this is, this is, this is some of the stuff that does give rugby a, um, a bad look out there with other sports. Because they look at this and be like, wow, this is pathetic, you know? All right, let's move on to another one. Um, so, yeah, old Springbok captain uh, Venan Klaasens came out and said it would be madness if the Springboks go and play in the rugby championship 
Um, you know, he says if one thinks that New Zealand and Australia have been playing their domestic rugby for the last two months and our rugby hasn't even restarted yet, we would definitely be underprepared. I fully, fully agree with them. Jason, do you agree with him as well? Yeah, I do. And there are a lot of people, a lot of people on social media saying what kind of world champion would run from a competition? The All Blacks would never do this. I can guarantee if the All Blacks were in the same situation we were, they would not go into that uh, tournament uh, because they know that your reputation is going to be damaged and your good players are going to be damaged. You're not going to be able to give a proper performance. And we've seen the injuries happening in Europe now with the return to play. Four of the Springboks are already injured. So it would be really silly to try and throw guys with less than what, like, a, like less than like uh, two months worth of play time into yeah. a test competition against guys who are really, really prepared. Yeah. Uh, before we started recording, you made uh, use the the boxing analogy, like, um, you know, would a heavyweight champion ever go into a title match or any, you know, heavyweight boxing match without adequate um, preparation time? And the answer is no. And I think this is the same. Everyone needs to understand that COVID has really changed the landscape. It's not that all teams have had the same opportunity to prepare. So those people who feel that, oh, well, you know, we should go play and so forth, who runs away, you're the world champion and so forth. No, this is different. Um, you know, these were circumstances without, uh, out of the control of uh, Saru. Uh, the government was like, right, you, you do nothing until we tell you you can do something. Right, so in this case, really, I feel that we are well within our rights to say thank you, but no thanks. Jock Ninov has made it clear that if there's not six matches played, that we will not go. Um, I'm hoping he's going to stick to his to his guns. I'm hoping Rossi is going to fully support him in that. We cannot go and play underprepared. And quite frankly, I think it would be a disservice and disrespectful to our opposition to go rock up there with the half half baked team. Really, like. We would not be sending out the right vibes for our reputation and the respect that our opposition deserves. Why would you ever want to go play opposition when you know you haven't prepared for them? It's a disrespect to the other team you're going to be playing. You, you at the very least, um, owe them that to come as best prepared as possible to play them. Exactly. Right, and our last one to end off with. Uh, so, Man ran a poll over Twitter and Facebook uh, to see whether uh, rugby fans are in favor of a domestic curry cup over our um, Springboks going to play in a rugby championship. And 74% of people said it would be better to see a local competition remain the focus rather than seeing the potentially undercooked box head into a rugby championship. Uh, which side of the fence are you on? I think you know where we're at, eh? Yeah, like I've been <laughs> saying yeah. for a while, I want that strong curry cup rather because it can be used as a qualification for a Pro 16. So for me, it's a no-brainer. We're going to get nothing, gain nothing, even if we go and we win this rugby championship, beat New Zealand. We're getting nothing out of it, actually, in my opinion. Let's rather give, the, give a solid curry cup that's going to get us into the Pro 16 and also give us a big players proper game time uh, in a, a stable competition. Yeah, um, 100% with you there. Um, I don't see the real benefit for us going to rugby championship if we're not fully prepared, quite honestly. And that seems like the likely scenario and we should therefore rather focus on a domestic competition 
and then take things from there. Alrighty, yeah, that's that's all we got for today. Let's wrap it up. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you liked this episode of the main event. Please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services, and leave us a comment. So until next week, stay away from your boys, wash your hands often, drink lots of water, and stay safe.